When was the last time you felt afraid? I mean, really afraid. There are as many kinds of ghosts in this world as there are living beings. Some simply appear, some try to help or communicate with us, and others mean us harm. Encounters with the supernatural are not random chaotic experiences, they are all too real. This account is not fiction, it is also real. But do not be afraid, I am here to guide you through the spaces where the living meet the dead. A kiss on the cheek. A little girl vanishes at the foot of the bed. Chills that have nothing to do with the cold. An embalming room in the basement. Blood-curdling screams. There are a lot of ghosts in this inn. Oktoberfest is the first Saturday in October with fireworks on the riverfront. Most residents and visitors go to Bay Street or River Street in Savannah and watch the fireworks. Everyone had gone except the lady in room 201. Her husband went, but she didn't feel well, and the innkeeper, who was downstairs. They were the only two people in the inn. Nine o'clock, she's laying in the bed, and it starts, and it's loud. The boom of the fireworks shake the windows and rattle the doors. She was laying there, listening to the tattoo of the fireworks. Boom, boom, when she heard a loud rap at the door. She approached the door and saw the knob turning, as if someone were trying to open it and asked who was there. A very young girl's voice said, we're scared, we're scared, can we come in? We're scared, the voice pleaded. She replied in a large voice, where are your parents? The child replied, we don't know where they are, we are scared. In a very stern voice, she replied, it's just fireworks, go back to bed. She heard nothing further and lay back down. The next morning, she went downstairs and asked the innkeeper which room the children were in. She wanted to speak to the parents. Quite perplexed, the innkeeper explained that the inn doesn't allow families with children. Sitting proudly on Columbia Square is a massive fireproof structure made of iron with a brick facade built by a man who owned an iron foundry, William Kehoe. In 1842, at the age of 10, he immigrated with his family to America. They settled in the old Fort District. He was a captain in the Confederacy, but was a very patriotic citizen after the hostilities and would dress as Uncle Sam on the 4th of July and threw a party for Savannah's residents a huge bonfire that was so hot the trees seemed to turn away from the heat. Anything combustible would be piled at the Kehoe Ironworks through the season. Yard debris, boxes, old lumber, creosote timbers and tires. The firemen had to wet the homes around the squares it burned, but eventually the fire chief forbade the celebration. In 1868, William Kehoe married Ann Flood. 
Their first home was diagonally, or as we say in Savannah, cattywampus across the square. In 1894, he built a magnificent home designed by DeWitt Bruin. He spent $25,000 on the construction, making the home a true showcase of his ironworks. Yellow Fever took two young daughters, Anne and Mary, who died within three days of each other. The girls were mistaken for twins. Because they were so close in age, they both had blonde hair and blue eyes. They are very playful and are often heard running on the top floor. They giggle and whisper and are seen standing at the foot of guest beds. A couple from Ohio checked in one afternoon and the innkeeper took their bags up to their room. They stayed on the parlor level and enjoyed some wine and cheese in the sitting room. After a brief interval, they collected the key and went to their room. They put the key in the door and heard girls playing and running around inside. The couple went back downstairs, told the innkeeper that he must have made a mistake because there were children in room 203. He stated that the keyhole house does not allow children, so they must be mistaken. The innkeeper took them back upstairs and as he inserted the key, they could all hear the sound of giggling children. He turned the key, opened the door, and there was their luggage on the settee with no one in the room. It was completely quiet. Mr. Kehoe died in the early 1900s, and his ghost is heard quite often. On one occasion, when a guest loudly proclaimed that William Kehoe was no longer residing in the house, all of the locked doors in the inn opened at the same time. When Mrs. Kehoe died, the family moved two squares south to the streetcar suburbs, the Victorian district around Forsyth Park, and the house became a mortuary. And for many years, it was the Godey Funeral Home. A family lived on the top floor when this was a mortuary. A nurse has been seen through the years by members of the Kehoe family, the undertakers, as well as people who stay at the inn today. The nurse seems to favor two particular doors at the top of the staircase. No one knows who her patients were, but she's been on duty for many years, and if she encounters you at the top of the stairs, she will shush you. The morgue or embalming room was located in the basement. That's where they slid the bodies in and out. The dead were put in coffins and taken up the back stairs to the front parlor. When you have your breakfast in this bed and breakfast today, you have it in the viewing room or in the parlance of the undertaker, the slumber room where they would lay them out in silent slumber, sweet repose. I suggested they put a coffin in the room covered with a smorgasbord, Bloody Marys, cold cuts, finger food. The mortuary closed in 1972 and the syndicate of men bought it, including Joe Namath and Terry Bradshaw. They were going to turn it into a gentleman's club 
like the old Playboy Club in Atlanta. Fortunately for us, they never did. You could imagine this as a discotheque. It sat vacant for the next 20 years. In 1992, a man bought it and turned it into an historic inn, one of the finest in the South, and definitely one of the most haunted. There are 13 rooms in this inn, the perfect number for a haunted hotel. A couple from Ohio were in the inn, and I spoke to them both. The husband told me that his wife had the whole day prior set. They went to Mrs. Wilkes' boarding house for lunch and went shopping. About 4.30 in the afternoon, they returned to their room, dropped their purchases on the floor. She went to bed, and he went to the bathroom. She said she was dead tired, and it didn't take her moments to fall asleep. As soon as she dozed off, someone sat on the edge of the bed. She opened her eyes and saw a little girl with long blonde hair. She immediately thought it was her daughter, but then she just as quickly remembered her daughter was in Ohio with relatives, and they were on vacation. Her husband came back in the room, and he saw the little girl. The girl turned and smiled at both of them and vanished. He said his wife jumped out of that bed and stood frozen, scared to death. He said he had to walk her to the foot of the bed. When they reached the end of the bed, they could see the impression on the bed covers where the little girl had been sitting. I could spend hours telling of eyewitness accounts from this house, but the best one happened last fall. I was standing with about 20 people in Columbia Square, talking about the house, when a man walked out of the beautiful leaded glass entry doors, came right up to the group, looked at us and said, Robert, they told me I had to come out and tell you guys what happened last night. He and his wife were staying in room 201. They had been in the room for the past two nights, having a big time sitting on the balcony watching the ghost tours. The second night, the last tour came by, he and his wife went to bed and went to sleep. At 12.01 a.m., both were awakened by a blood-curdling scream. A woman shrieked, and someone fell down the stairs right outside their door. They jumped out of the bed and ran out into the hallway. The couple in the adjoining room, Mrs. Keogh's room, jumped out of their bed and also ran into the hall. All four of them heard the scream and the fall, but there was nothing there. He had no motivation to make that up. It happened just the night before. My friend Phyllis worked as the innkeeper for six years. She never saw anything for the first four years. She heard all the stories from guests and staff, but she never gave it a thought. Then she saw the lady in white in the basement hallway. It was a hot August evening. As she put her hand on the doorknob to enter the inn, she felt a cold chill right down to her marrow. She said it was like ice. Her whole body shook with fear. In the kitchen, preparing a plate for the next day's breakfast, cutting fruit, with her head down working, someone walked in, and she looked up 
but there was no one there. Later, she was sitting at the front desk, working at the computer, typing, when someone came down the stairs directly in front of her. She looked up, but still she saw no one. She just knew something was getting ready to happen. August in Savannah is miserable. 100 degree weather with 98% humidity. It's miserable if you aren't from here. I've seen people literally melt. Visitors come here and take several showers a day. Phyllis came to work that night. Everyone was out of towels. She had been in the basement three times in the last hour, gathering towels from the linen closet. No problem. The fourth time, walking down the mahogany staircase, she stepped on the last stair and the hair on the back of her neck stood straight up. She got what my daddy used to call chicken skin. She had goosebumps all over her. She stepped into the hallway and there was the lady in white, a ghostly shade of a woman, hovering at the end of the hallway, about a foot off the ground. Phyllis said it was like someone had knocked the wind out of her and she couldn't breathe. She said all she could do was stand there. She told me she stood mesmerized, staring at the apparition. She was frozen with fear, as if her feet were glued to the floor. After a short period of time, she started to sway back and forth, just standing there, rocking. She thinks her body was trying to calm her, but her eyes were still mesmerized by the ghost standing at the end of the hall. Finally, she ripped her eyes away, looked at her feet, and prayed, God, please make her go away. She looked up, and the apparition was gone. Phyllis ran up the stairs and collapsed in the chair behind the desk. She sat there and hyperventilated for many minutes. About two weeks after the incident, I spoke to Joe, who worked with Phyllis. He told me he found her like that, clammy, breathing hard, visibly shaken. I knew she was frightened, he said. I poured her a cup of coffee, put some cognac in it, and after her third cup, she began to feel better. The Kehoe House has a guest register on a console as you walk in on the left. Guests are encouraged to sign the book and express any comments. Phyllis used to go through and put red dots next to the entries that had anything to do with paranormal activity. I went through the book one afternoon and I found many entries, one of which I copied verbatim. There were two ladies' names. They said, what a beautiful city and what a wonderful inn. Stay in room 301 if you want a ghostly, friendly experience. I asked Phyllis about room 301. She took me upstairs and showed it to me. The room was located on the top floor on the back of the house on the State Street side. Unfortunately, the room was removed a few years back when the elevator was installed. It was a corner room with a very pleasant view. There were two single beds, so it was usually the last room to be rented out. Most people that stayed in the room experienced the same phenomena. Sitting on the bed, or reclining in one of the wing chairs, 
reading, or watching TV, someone or something would stroke the back of their hand, sometimes lift them by the elbows as if to get them up, and or kiss them on the cheek, a ghostly, friendly experience. I have been doing these ghost tours since 1997 and have never encountered anything of the paranormal nature while on the tour, except once. It was in the fall of 2003, and I had a large group that night, about 20 people. Since mine is a family tour and fun for all ages, there were about four small children that night. We had an exceptionally nice night, and they were a good audience, and seemed to be interested in the walk. Halfway through the tour, I was standing at the front stairs, telling the story of Phyllis and the lady in white. The children were lined up in front of the adults, and I noticed they were all staring at the balcony on the third floor above Mrs. Keel's room. I turned to look and saw nothing, so I continued my narrative. They were so intent on that particular spot that I glanced again and saw nothing. I stopped and asked them what was so interesting. You don't see the little girls, replied one. And with that, the whole group looked up and saw no one. I said, what little girls? They said, the little girls on the balcony. I looked again, and sure enough, there were two small children standing at the rail of the balcony. They were just tall enough to see their heads above the handrail, and they had long blonde hair. I turned back to the group so that they would acknowledge having seen the girls, and they all looked at me as though nothing out of the ordinary had occurred. I looked again, and they were gone. I stopped what I was doing and walked around the south side of the house, but saw no one. The balcony was dark, and no movement could be seen. I came back to the group and asked if anyone else had seen the girls, with only the children responding in the affirmative. It gave me quite a stir, but I continued my tour. The next day, I called and asked the innkeeper if they had any children staying in the inn, and if so, were they in the room on the third floor? The innkeeper responded that there were no children staying in the inn that she was aware of. I will never forget those little girls looking down from the balcony right at our group. I noticed them for a few moments, but none of the other adults in the group saw them. The children were the only ones to see the girls. Where the Living Meet the Dead was written and hosted by Robert Edgerly and produced by Mark Francis. To buy Robert's book or get more information on his hauntings tour of Savannah, please go to savannaghostlytours.com. That's savannaghostlytours.com.